Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Welcome back to Saturday morning on Money FM 89.3. Time for our International News Review. Steve Oaken, good morning to you, sir. Good December morning, boys. How are you? Hard to believe, huh? We're already in the month of, uh, of merriment. It is. I can't. Uh, I, uh, we're starting to starting to wrap up, but there's not all the year-end holiday parties, so it, it kind of seems like December, but not really. But Steve, don't you wish you were taking a dozen COVID tests a day, like Glenn will have to do in a few days? <laughs> Aren't you so disappointed? You're missing all that. <laughs> Wait till we talk about my upcoming trip to Malaysia. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a minute. Hey, uh, Steve, let's start off with uh, Peng Shui. It, we've, now this is the third week we've talked about her, but uh, for good reason. In this past week, there was another round of, of, of interesting, uh, let's say, controversy between the WTA and the IOC, Olympic Organizing Committee. Uh, take us through what happened this past week. Well, I mean, look, the WTA is is sticking by its players and, and the WTA has said that it's going to do everything to, possible to protect her and that when powerful people are suppressing the voices of women, sweeping allegations of sexual assault under the rug, then um, that is going to be a huge setback and the WTA is not going to sit by and do nothing. And because the WTA has said Chinese officials have been provided the opportunity to cease censorship of her and the topic, um, to provide verifiable proof that she is free to speak without interference or intimidation um, and to investigate, and they have not done it, they've pulled out of China uh, until mm-hmm. that changes. And this is the first time my business is is it's going to cost themselves hundreds of millions of dollars to, to stick up to their principles. And that's the key point, Steve, isn't it? That it is hundreds of millions of dollars. They have the year-ending uh, WTA tournament, I believe, in China. It used to be here in Singapore. I've, I've attended it in Singapore myself. So it is a lot of money that's being lost here. What kind of message will it send to other sports associations, for starters, because China is a huge market for all sports, from football onwards, and will others follow suit here? Well, this is what we're, we've seen this start a bit in the United States about U.S. politics. And when 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 LeBron James spoke out against um, Donald Trump and some of what he was doing, Laura Ingram, a, 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 a relatively famous right wing political commentator in the United States, told told LeBron James, she said she said, shut up and dribble. Right. Mm. That's what you do. Mm. We don't want to hear what you talk about politics. The, the, the Chinese government is saying the same thing to the WTA right now. They're saying that don't politicize sports. Stay out of our business. You just come here, you hit the ball. Uh, we'll watch your women hit the ball across the net. And then you t- make your money and you leave. Um, and the WTA says, no, this is not politicizing sports. This is standing up for what we believe is right for our members. And will other businesses follow? That is going to be a, a real question. Bill Bishop, um, when a very famous uh, China commentator had lived in China for years, now has a, a great uh, news news uh, subscription service I subscribe to, Sinicism. Bill said back in, in, in earlier on, he says, in many ways, it's harder for leagues to keep their souls, but also expand into China. Hmm. And that is becoming more and more a case from a U.S. perspective, a Western perspective, and it's not going to be limited 
to women's tennis. It's going to expand into all sports, and then it's going to expand into the global business community. Yeah, This is why, Steve, I find this particular case so fascinating, because I do think it's going to prove, history will show it was a landmark case, because this idea that, that yeah, you know the Chinese government this week have said you can't, polit- sports cannot get involved with politics and vice versa. We can't say that anymore. Global sport has changed. Premier League footballers take the knee before every game as a protest. That in itself is a political statement against racism. They do this before every single game. Just last week, every English Premier League footballer wore the rainbow laces for LGBT rights, which has caused problems for broadcasters in the Middle East. There was an ex-footballer in the Middle East who came out against the LGBT Mm. Mm. uh, statement, and there's been a, a fallout from that. The point I'm getting at, Steve, is I think it's naive now to, to keep suggesting, as the Chinese government have, that sports and politics can be separated. They just can't anymore, can they? Well, it, it's sports and politics. It's, it's business in politics. It's everything is now um, coming together. And we're seeing it driven not necessarily by governments, but by business leaders and by their employees and by their customers. And like, and China is trying to and has effectively shut this discussion down in China. I mean, you literally can't can't look up tennis and and social media in right. China, let alone uh, Peng by name. Um, there was one person who tried to get around this uh, on Weibo, you know, the Chinese version of Twitter, referring to the WTA in Chinese as the Women's Off Table Ping Pong Association. <laughs> that made it. That made it for about an hour or two before it, it got shut down. Yeah. Uh, so Steve, uh, if I can just say, you know, yeah. this this plays into the the global ESG environmental social governance movement. Uh, I guess to your point, to Neil's, uh, companies are not looking the other way when it comes to everything now. And like it or not, we're not at 50 years ago or 60 years ago where, where governments just kind of did what they wanted. Um, uh, boards of directors and investors and customers are demanding in many cases that companies, organizations do the right thing. Now, the right thing is, you know, in quotes, is is where we run into uh, challenges because, you know, who decides what the right thing is. But, uh, you know, ESG, I think, and the movement over the past two, three years in that has absolutely played into this mindset that we're that we're currently witnessing. And, and it's the broadening of the stakeholder map that you were getting into there, Glenn, because now you not you can't just say I'm going to comply with the law and therefore I get a free pass on everything else. And and Ray Dalio, a very famous investor, just did an interview on on CNBC and mm-hmm. he was asked uh, about his investing into China and you know, how does this comply with with what people see as human rights abuses and, and other things from a Western perspective uh, in China? And Ray Dalio said, that's none of my business. <laughs> it's what, what 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 China does is China's business. What the U.S. does is U.S. business. U.S. isn't perfect. China isn't perfect. And he's getting blasted from everybody mm. uh, from taking that position that China is a strict parent um, when it comes to its people. And, and, and you you accept that. Um that that did not work. That did not go over so well for him. So when you do your stakeholder mapping uh, as a as a business leader, it, your your stakeholders 
and the people who you have to think about before you take actions, your investors, your customers, uh, your potential, your employees and potential employees, uh, media, civil society. It is a huge exercise. And that's all part of, of making sure you understand ESG, environmental social governance, from a business perspective, not just yeah. from a regulatory perspective. Steve, the, uh, the, the Chinese government, of course, has come out and said, this is ridiculous. She's fine. No problem. You've seen her on video. She's answered questions. Uh, and But the IOC came under pressure this week after they did their video call with her. They didn't release the video. They didn't release a transcript. They just said, she's fine. We've talked to her. Uh, and, and that has led a number of people saying, look, you know, the IOC is soft peddling this because they don't want to mess up the Beijing games uh, come next February. Uh, we do, do we have any more insight in recent hours as to the IOC's um, stance on this? I mean, they, they've supported her being safe and her et cetera and all the other things that the WTA is, but they've, they've taken a much lighter touch on this. I think that was actually the word they even used was they're taking a light touch. Well, I mean, the, the IOC has said that, 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 that they have taken a very human and person-centered approach mm. to her situation. Mm. Mm. And I, I don't know what a person-centered approach is exactly when it when, and how you can have a person-centered approach when you're talking about the issues that the WTA is standing up for, right? right? The rights of women, the rights to be heard, the rights uh, for an investigation, the rights not to be... Uh, not to protect people in power against those who are more disenfranchised, even if it is a former two-time you know, world champion on the, on the WTA tour and a former Olympian, um, that there's a huge power dynamic. So how does a person-centered approach work in that? I mean, I think that is kind of the Western question is you can't have a person-centered approach. The IOC is obviously trying to balance business interests, its commitments to China, and then, and then, and then, helping and helping Peng out as well. It, they're having a tough time. But is there a chance on this one, Steve, of the IOC being left behind? As Glenn r- rightly mentioned, you have to think about investors. You have to think about customers because the power of social media now is bigger than the IOC. It's bigger than the Olympic movement, as we've seen everyone from Serena Williams to famous athletes around the world saying, "Where is Peng? Where is Peng?" And then IOC has a meeting. Allegedly, it was a thirty-minute meeting between Thomas Buck, the IOC president, and Peng, and the allegations reportedly were not even mentioned once. I mean, this would be HRPR 101 in any gu- mm. in any organisation across the board. If a woman makes an allegation against a senior official, a senior employer, a, a man of power, a sexual allegation, and then you have a meeting about it and it's not mentioned once, what does it look like from the optics point of view? I mean, like the IOC has is, is never been seen as a as a as an exemplar of, of standing <laughs> oh, exactly. up for individual rights. <laughs> exactly. And, and th- this yeah. is the, so the business question for the IOC is right now the sponsors have have been you know are still all there for the Olympics and those are the, some of the biggest names uh, in the world uh, who are the sponsors. But now you see one of those sponsors, I believe, is Airbnb, um, is now come against an investigative report that it is listing properties in Xinjiang um, that are owned by sanctioned entities. Uh, And so this whole issue of human rights and business in in doing what you're supposed to do in the West, but then complying with Chinese law and doing what you're supposed to do in China Mm. is very difficult. And that gets back to the Bill Bishop's point is, can you do both? Is it possible to have an approach 
like one country, two systems. And we saw how one country, two systems turned out for Hong Kong. Is that something that businesses are going to be able to continue an analogous model, which is basically what they're following right now? All right, Steve, we've got to leave it there. Uh, Let's hope that uh, we see some more resolution on that this week. (laughs) Otherwise, we'll be talking about it on the 18th of December when uh, when (laughs) next we see you. All right, an event coming up the 9th and 10th of December, the Democracy Summit that Joe Biden is hosting. Uh, A bit of an awkward moment when the uh, Secretary of State for East Asia Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian Affairs, Daniel Crittenbrink, is in Singapore talking to regional journalists, mentioning, oh, by the way, uh, Singapore is not invited, nor is Thailand, nor is Vietnam for this regional summit that's being held. Hmm, but it's not a slight, they say. Uh, it is perfectly okay. Um, it, weird timing, especially at a time when the U.S. is trying to say it's re-engaging uh, with Asia. What, what's your take on this? Well, you, you kind of got to you got to go back to the campaign, right? And this is where Joe Biden wanted to make the point that he was going to be very different than Donald Trump in 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 not pulling the United States back from global leadership in engaging with the United States partners and allies. So this was a campaign promise right. that he made, and he also talked about it in his first speech on foreign policy uh, back in in February. And so what's what the the purpose of this summit is to defend. Right, bring countries together who are going to defend against authoritarianism, who are going to work together to address and fight corruption and to promote respect for human rights. <clears throat> so on paper, this all sounded really good, right? U.S. is back. U.S. is a global leader. Democracies versus authoritarianism. But then you got to put it together. And now all of a sudden, the big question is, who do you invite? Um, and then there's always yeah. going to be a comparison. And this is a problem the United States is trying to to, to juggle and finesse right now because you have, you know, Kurt Campbell, who's the head of Indo-Pacific uh, for, for the White House, for, for President Biden. You know, he said ASEAN's the most important focus we're going to have in 2022. Yet only four of the 11 Southeast Asian countries, I'm counting Timor-Leste, right? Only four of the 11 are invited. So you have that juggle. And then you start comparing, well, Singapore is not invited, but Pakistan is invited. You know, does that say more about Singapore, about Pakistan? And so it's just a very diplomatically tough balancing. It's very odd, Steve. I mean, not surprisingly, there's been letters and commentaries in our media this week. I mean, we can get in a whole debate about Singapore politics, but the truth is... We hold elections every five years. There is one of the highest voter turnout rates in the world. It's 90, 95%. Yes, the dominant party, the People's Action Party, wins every election, but they're fair and free and open elections. And yet Singapore is not there. I mean, crystal ball gazing here. Why do you think that is? And, And what should Singapore feel about this? Well, I mean, so uh, the, the diplomatic answer that, that uh, uh, Assistant Secretary uh, Crittenbrink gave when he was here this week um, is that this is not designated to be a forum in which we, the United States, sit in judgment of other countries. So it gets to... And, and yet know, the U.S. That, is hosting the summit. <laughs> and half <laughs> of <laughs> countries on the planet are going to be you there. It's not raining, but here's the umbrella for the rain. And so all you have to, to, to say for the... The, the U.S. Is, is going to have to have upsides on this. It's going to have downsides on this. Another downside is, is this bringing China and Russia together? Yeah. Right? Because now right. you've invited... 
Taiwan. Uh, the United States has invited Taiwan, um, which, of course, is is angered the Chinese. <laughs> the Russians are upset about what's happening with who was invited uh, in, in Eastern Europe. So now you're bringing together, you know, arguably the two biggest geopolitical geostrategic adversaries or competitors anyway that the United States have, China and Russia, you're bringing them together. So, you know, is, is in hindsight, should there even be this summit? Should it have been called yeah, that? Yeah. Well, you know, the White House has said this is a campaign promise. We're going to keep it. Now we're going to have to try and, and you know, minimize the downside <laughs> and, and increase the upside. We'll see. Well, moving, absolutely. Yeah. Moving a bit closer to home, Uncle. Steve. Moving a bit closer to home. First Omicron case in Malaysia, and you are heading out there, we believe, next week. How's this shaping up? The VTL situation, do you see any changes? How's it going to affect you? What's going to happen next? I'm going to 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 to, to KL uh, for five days. I am going to have to take eleven COVID tests. <laughs> it's not a competition, Steve. Days. It's not a competition between <laughs> you and Glenn. <laughs> Can you get, get a tattoo for every COVID test, and I will, and we'll come back and compare. <laughs> I got a, a, a pre-departure test, an on-arrival test, a day three test in Malaysia, a pre-departure test in Malaysia, an arrival test in Singapore, and then seven days. Seven of days test, are the tests uh, here yeah. after yeah. I get back. Mm. Uh, so look, the, and and. And that's because if they're all negative. Perish the thought that any of them come back positive, right? <laughs> then you're on a whole nother track. <laughs> you know, and this is for, you know, a, a client I have working on on ESG, Glenn. And, you know, mm. it, yeah, you're willing to pay that price because to be in person for three days to really go over yeah. the policies and the processes to learn from one another, you can't do that on 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 Zoom. Yeah. Like you can do it in person. You get a you know a group of people, and I think we can get a group of more than five people together in a room mm-hmm. um, in KL. So it's worth going, but you always have in the back of your head, well, what happens? You know, for me, if they say BTL canceled, mm-hmm. you know, now they'll typically give 24, 48 hours, so I can just get back because it's you know one hour flight, of course. Yeah. But yeah. for Glenn, we may not see him until twenty twenty three. We'll meet again. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for that, Steve. Always great to have you on. <laughs> Why do you think we're training up Dan the Man? Why do you think? <laughs> hey, no one is irreplaceable, right? We all know that. We've all learned that in business over the years. All right, Steve. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you back here on the eighteenth of December uh, when our next show is happening. Dan will be sitting here in the hot seat, and Neil, of course, and I'll be joining you guys from uh, the Outer Banks. So, see you in a fortnight, Neil. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, yeah, I'll see you, Steve. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Steve. International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.